back to Teachable Moments with April. I'm going to be reading some content from Cavalier Daily uh, newspaper um, on a designer called Ann Cole Lowe. This article was done February 25th, 2021. Remembering Ann Lowe, the black designer who shaped social light fashion, praise for society's best kept secret of the 1900s on the 40th anniversary of her death. And in this particular article, it shows a picture of uh, Miss Lowe and it says countless other black creators throughout history have consistently been pushed into the background or forgotten despite their cultural impact. This article was written by Lauren Whitlock. Jackie O, or Bouvier, which was her maiden name, um, elegant wedding dress for her marriage to JFK, was one of the most iconic bridal gowns of the 20th century. But while everyone at the time fawned over the dress, very few knew who designed it. When asked by the press and others, Jackie merely responded that a colored dressmaker did it. That dressmaker was Ann Lowe, one of the most sought-after designers of high society in her time, unbeknownst to the public. Lowe was born in rural Alabama in 1898 into a line of seamstresses, both her mother and her grandmother, the latter of whom was born into enslavement ran a dressmaking business for high society members of Alabama. Although Lowe learned to sew at a young age, her mother's death prompted her to take over the family business at 16 years old, beginning her love affair with fashion. According to CNN, this love of fashion took her all the way to design school in New York, where her skills enabled her to graduate exceptionally quickly despite being segregated from her white classmates. Throughout her career, Lowe maintained a very particular clientele. As a self-proclaimed awful snob, uh, Lowe told Ebony Magazine in December 1966, I am not interested in sewing for cafe society or social climbers. I do not cater to Mary and Sue. I sew for the families of the social registry. While her mission to only design for the upper classes was successful, her exclusive clientele demanded a level of perfection that often came at a cost. In the case of the uh, aforementioned Kennedy wedding dress, when a flood hit only seven days before the wedding, Lowe hastened to remake the dress and several bridesmaid dresses. The expensive materials and extra labor required for a gown fit for society darling cost over $2,000. When she arrived to deliver the labored over dresses, she was told to enter through the back door, to which she responded that she would take the dresses back, reports the National Museum of American History. Not only did she never receive credit for her work on the famed wedding dress, she also never received credit for many of her other designs. When the Gone with the Wind star Olivia de Havilland received her award for Best Actress at the 1947 Academy Awards and one of Lowe's designs, de Havilland went so far as to remove Lowe's name from the tag.
In this way, Law was frequently referred to as society's best kept secret, a black woman, highly sought after by the wealthiest members of society, but never publicly given credit for her work because of her race. Lowe's finances also suffered because of her race. In order to keep up with her white competitors and appeal to the white women of high society, Lowe often lowered her prices excessively. When her son and bookkeeper died in 1958, she went into substantial debt and was forced to declare bankruptcy in 1962. That same year, Lowe cost, lost an eye due to glaucoma, meaning she could no longer sew her dresses herself or create her signature hand-painted flower designs. An anonymous benefactor, often speculated to be Jack, Jackie Kennedy, eventually paid off her debts, allowing her to continue designing for multiple years. Nonetheless, her career never fully recovered, and her business did not survive past her death on February 25, 1981. In spite of all the adversity she faced during her lifetime, Lowe was finally begun to gain some recognition. In recent years, two books have been written about her, and her dresses are spread across several museum collections including the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Museum of New York City, and the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, where one of her dresses, only one, is currently on display. Still, Lowe is not nearly as well known as similar white designers of the time who built successful and long-lasting fashion houses, and she is not alone. Countless other black creators throughout history have consistently been pushed into the background or forgotten while their influences impacted our culture, often with white creators getting all of the credit for progress initiated or aided by black creators. The influence of Anne Lowe's designs might not be visible in today's fashion, but they certainly had an impact on the fashion of their time and the better known and higher paid white creators of that time. Lowe deserved just as much credit as they were given and her lack of personal recognition as well as her inability to fully expand her business cannot be ignored. Today, black designers still frequently take a back seat to white ones. To combat this, it is crucial to actively seek out black designs and give their creators the credit and success afforded so as so many other designers. It is important to remember black designers of the past who have been forgotten even while their designs, like Lowe's wedding dress worn by Jackie Kennedy or the streetwear fashion pioneered by Willie Smith, are remembered. This Black History Month, on the 40th anniversary of her death, remember Anne Lowe, the remarkable and influential Black designer who spent her life designing beautiful, beloved dresses without ever being allowed to become beloved herself. Use her memory to instigate change by ensuring that the Black designers of today do not go unnoticed or uncredited. At the end of this particular article, there is a link from Cosmopolitan Magazine, 
at cosmopolitan.com slash style, um, beauty, fashion, and it says black fashion designers. The article was done for July 15th, uh, 2020 uh, by Lauren Adahave. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name correctly. And it has 23 black fashion designers that are so chic. They're the most stylish people in the biz, and they create even more stylish clothes. I realized that uh, Rihanna is one of them, as well as Kanye West. And there are some other very, very, very influential and um, designers, African-American designers, uh, designers that are on there. Um, so I would like to invite you guys to go and look at that and look at each uh, designer's bio. Um, moments with April so we're looking even further into the designer uh, Anne Cole Lowe we're on the vintagewomanmagazine.com slash hot history and Cole Lowe this particular article was written by Rachel Gross I'm trying to see when was it written I don't see a particular date um so I'm just going to read what it says, what she wrote about um, Anne Cole. According to fashion lore, when Dior examined a piece designed by Anne Cole Lowe, he was astounded by her craftsmanship. He had to immediately know who made this gown. Lowe designed the dress that uh, Jacqueline uh, Bouvier, which is uh, uh, Jackie O., Jackie Kennedy wore when she married Senator um, John F. K. in 1953 and all the dresses worn by the bridal party, all of them. It is one of the most remembered wedding gowns ever. 50 yards of silk taffeta embellished with interwoven bands of tucking finished with a portrait neckline and a bouffant skirt. The New York Times covered the event, dress included, and Lowe was not mentioned. When asked, even when she was married to Onassis, Jackie would just say that it had been by a colored woman. One of the first African-American fashion designers to receive international acclaim, Lowe's designs were favored by high society women for 40 years, from the 1920s through the 1960s. Born around 1898 in Clayton, Alabama, exact date unknown, Lowe's great-grandmother had been enslaved and had a daughter by the plantation owner in a despicable era of uh, American history where a person of color was property. The child, uh, Georgia Tompkins, was born enslaved but was emancipated when purchased by a freeman, General Cole. Now, Jack, Jackie O's mother, or Jack, Jackie Kennedy's um, mother, had commissioned um, Cole um, her own wedding dress, commissioned her own wedding dress from Lowe in 1942 for her second marriage. 
Her mother also brought her daughter Lee to Lowe for a wedding gown about six months or so before Jackie's wedding in 1953. Ultimately, Lee's dress was designed by Pauline Taget, which they thought would be cheaper. For Jackie's dress, Lowe charged uh, about $500 approximately which would be like $5,000 today. Um, a similar dress would sell for uh, $1,500 in the same year. Pricing was a constant problem throughout Lowe's career. She never charged enough for her work. Lowe saw dressing the woman who would become the senator's wife to be an honor. But 10 days before the wedding, a pipe broke in Lowe's uh, atelier, flooding her studio. Jackie's gown, which had taken two months to create, was destroyed, as were uh, most of the dresses for the wedding party. Lowe was devastated, but rallied and found a solution. The designer ordered more fabrics, and her team worked day and night until everything was remade. She never told the family what happened and did not bill for additional costs. Lowe ended up absorbing the expense, and even with her commission, the cost nearly bankrupted her. To hand-deliver the gowns, Lowe took an overnight train to Newport, Rhode Island, from Manhattan. When she arrived, the guards of the venue told her that blacks used the service entrance in the back. Lowe reportedly said, if I have to use the back door, they are not going to have the gowns. They let her in through the front. Lowe learned to sew from her grandmother, Tompkins, and mother, Janie Lowe, who worked as a seamstress for white society women in Alabama. From childhood, she had inherent skills. There are stories about her creating beautiful fabric flowers when she was only six, decorative elements that would become one of her signatures, details that brought women begging for her work. And then they gave pictures um, of, of these handmade flowers sewn onto beautiful uh, gowns. Lowe's mother died when she was 16, leaving an unfinished commission. Four gowns for Alabama's first lady, Elizabeth Kirkman O'Neill. While grieving a devastating loss, Lowe somehow finished the order. Around the same time in 1912, Lowe married Lee Cohen, who expected a homemaker. They had a son, Arthur Lee, and for almost a year, she stopped working. Ultimately, she left Cohen for a job. The wife of a Florida tycoon wanted Lowe to be her personal dressmaker. Lowe told the Saturday Evening Post in 1964 that it was a chance to make all the lovely gowns I've always dreamed of. I picked up my baby and got on that Tampa train. Cohen, though, thought this was much too ambitious and sent Lowe divorce papers. Lowe had ambition, but never too much of it. With the support and encouragement of her employer, she took her son to New York City in 1917 and attended the S.T. Taylor Design School. The school was segregated, and the head of the school did not know that he had admitted a black student until she arrived. He tried to make her go, but Lowe would not leave. She was allowed to stay, but had to attend her classes alone, separate from the white students. Regardless, the work she completed while attending the school was good, was so good that they were used as examples to show those students the correct way to do things. 
Lowe graduated in 1919, about a year earlier, and moved back to Tampa with Arthur. Okay, so then they have a picture of the interior of one of her gowns. At home, Lowe opened a salon, Annie Cohen, and eventually had to hire 18 seamstresses to keep up with the demand. If there was a formal affair, you lived in Tampa and in the early 1920s, and if you could afford it, you wanted an Annie Cohen. But Lowe wanted to be in the most important center of American fashion. By 1928, she had saved up to $20,000 and returned to New York, settling in Harlem with her son. She did commissions for department stores like Henry Bendel, Neiman Marcus, and Saks Fifth Avenue. The Great Depression began, and though she she survived, it is worth mentioning that Lowe always struggled with money. While relatively expensive, her prices were still a deal. This had a bifold effect. It kept her penny-pinching and wealthy clients coming back, but it also meant that she was almost always close to or recovering from a financial emergency. Okay, so then they have some content in parentheses and I'm going to read it. It says, a note about this department store work. The custom of the time was that the labels and clothing held the name of the shop that sold it, not the name of the designer who made it. In 1946, when accepting an Oscar for Best Actress, Olivia de Havilland wore a gown designed by Lowe. The tag in the dress was for Sonia Rosenberg the store from which the dress was purchased. And um, they show two um, uh, 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 pictures of Olivia de Havilland um, wearing the gown from different angles. In 1947, New York World, an important African-American newspaper, sent Lowe to Paris to cover the first haute couture fashion week. During the trip, she met Christian Dior, who admired her skills, and they got along famously. Back in America, the post-war years were good. It was a very uh, prosperous time. The wealthy returned to opera, ballet, theater, and formal events. Debutante balls were back in style. Ladies who could indulge in such activities always needed clothes. Lowe was now dressing the daughters of her older clients and these relationships provided a new generation of customers. Lowe opened Ann Lowe's gowns in 1950. Again, she was successful. Her son Arthur was her partner and he managed the books and kept his mother from giving deals to clients who could easily afford to pay reasonable prices. Clients were constantly trying to talk down prices, realizing they could get work on par with Parisian couture for pennies on the dollar. Even at the height of business, the margins low operated were very terrifying. Sadly, Arthur died in 1958 in a car accident. In mourning without Arthur's guidance, money problems became serious enough that Lowe closed her atelier in 1962 due to astounding bills. She took a job as the in-house dressmaker at Saks Fifth Avenue, but quit soon after. Then the medical problems began, glaucoma, losing her right eye. She could not afford surgery, so her physician performed the operation for free. Next, it was 
back taxes. Society's best kept secret owed the IRS $13,000. With no money and missing an eye, it was a cat catastrophic event for Lowe. Friends at Henry Bendel and Neiman Marcus loaned me money to stay open. But the Internal Revenue Service agents finally closed me up for non-payment of taxes. At my wit's end, I ran sobbing into the street. So this was, a, I'm sorry, I didn't say this before. This was a quotation from Anne. Out of the blue, the IRS called to say an anonymous friend had paid off the debt. Ah, uh, okay. In subsequent interviews with both Ebony and The Post, Lowe said she believed Jackie O., Jackie Kennedy had done this. It would never be confirmed. They had stayed in contact, and while it seemed unlikely that Lowe would have told the First Lady, social priority, Jackie was obviously connected enough to find out. Regardless, Lowe was able to reopen her business, and soon it was once again booming. At her best, Lowe maintained a staff of 35 and made nearly uh, 1,000 dresses in a year and grossed approximately $300,000 annually. Okay, and then they show Anne again sitting down looking very stylish and uh, a model of a very beautiful like emerald green dress with all this embroidery and it's black. It is breathtaking. Okay, so it says Lowe developed a, uh, a cataract in her left eye but did not lose it. After another surgery, she was able to keep some of her vision. People tell me I've done better <laughs> I've done better feeling than others do seeing. Ann Copeland, a client in 1964, described watching low work. Her assistants hovered around her to be certain that she got it all right. No one made dresses as beautifully. The New York Times would cover the wedding, describe the bride's look in great detail, but again, the paper did not name the designer. Lowe only accepted a certain class of clientele. I love my clothes, and I'm particularly particular about who wears them. I sew for the families of the social register. One such client was Pauline Carver Duxbury, whose gown Lowe designed for her social debut in 1967. I was 17 years old. The dress made me feel so grown up and beautiful. It is in my mind the most beautiful dress I have ever seen. In 1968, she opened Anne Lowe's Originals on Madison Avenue in Manhattan, the first African-American-owned business in the center of American fashion. Lowe designed gowns for many of the wealthiest, most connected women in America, including the DuPonts, the Posts, and the Rockefellers. For many of them, she, just, she designed gowns for generations of women. In 1966, she would tell Ebony, all the pleasure I have had, I owe to my sewing. Lowe retired in 1972, essentially broke. She lived with her adopted daughter, Ruth. Lowe would die there on February 25th of 1981. Then they show such a beautiful picture of the Copeland dress that the detailing and those signature handmade flowers on them. Oh, wow. Along the hem, along the waist, in the back, in the front, along the bodice. It's, it's wow. Though never given proper credit during her lifetime, in the early 200s, 
um, this began to change. The John F. Kennedy Library and Museum celebrate the first couple of Camelot's 50th wedding anniversary with an exhibit in 2003. It included Jackie's dress, which drew enormous attention, leading to questions about the designer. Instead of being less than a footnote in the history of American history, a fashion, the lady who created impeccable styles for decades of white American socialites began to be recognized for her place as a major designer in the era of Jim Crow. Today, Lowell's dresses are kept in the collection of the Metz Costume Institute and at the Fashion Institute of Technology. The Smithsonian Institution's uh, National Museum of African American History and Culture was her gowns on display. Has her gowns on display. I'm sorry. In 2016, her work was included in the Fitz <laughs> expedition about the contributions of Black Americans on the history of fashion design. In recent years, two children's books about her life have been published. Ooh, I want to read those. I want to look at those. And then they have a picture of this ball gown um, from 1950. It's white and it has like this red velvet ribbon um, that's just accent. It, it is really breathtaking. It's made of white tulle. I don't know anything about fashion and, and fabric and I can't sew, but it's like, wow, this is beautiful. This is when women used to dress up and they really made, you know, they really stepped out and stepped up. It says... I like for my dresses to be admired. I like to hear about it. Like when someone tells me the Ann Lowe's dresses were doing all the dancing at the cotillion last night. That's what I like to hear. And it says Lowe, 1964. And then it finishes with a picture of her in one of her studios. Um, and her signature, it seems like a lot of the outfits that I see her, she's in black, all head to toe black and a very um, great hat. I like hats. 